we've been through some ups and downs, but how do you find the environment right now? But what are you seeing across? Are a lot of agencies having a tough year? Think of growing a business or scaling an agency as climbing a mountain. There's no direct path. Like there, it's not a straight line. It's constantly ups and downs. And sometimes we'll go to like, we'll think this is the fastest way to the summit. And then we'll cliff ourselves out where we're like, we're, we're looking down and we're like, well, I'm not going over that. Like it's such huge risk. You can make it, but why do you want to take that risk versus like, just climb back down for an hour and go. So in the short term, sure. Some people have gone down a little bit, but it's because you're looking at it in such a minuscule moment of time. Like if you started stretching it out, you'll be like, holy cow, like I'm way up. And then think about well, how much have I learned this year of what not to do? Like mistakes yeah. come because you're trying. If you don't make mistakes, it means you're not trying hard enough. Every SaaS company plays for high stakes, but what does it take to dominate the market right now? Welcome to Paris Talks Marketing, the podcast where we dive deep into the latest trends and strategies in SaaS marketing that are really working today. I'm your host, Paris, and our guests are SaaS CMOs, founders, and specialists, and we discuss one trendy topic in the industry per episode. Ready to unlock the true power of marketing strategy? In this theme, we'll explore the world of cutting-edge marketing strategies and tactics that are shaking up the SaaS industry. We'll share insights on testing new tactics and uncover the latest developments from digital landscape giants like Google, Facebook, and LinkedIn. We'll also explore how AI is revolutionizing the digital landscape and transforming marketing tactics. So grab your headphones and get ready for a marketing strategy masterclass with Paris Talks Marketing. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. Today, I'm really excited to be with Jason Swank. Jason Swank is an agency advisor and a coach who guides marketing agencies through a proven framework to grow their agencies faster. He's written a book for growing an agency from nothing to an eight-figure agency. He currently hosts the Smart Agency Masterclass podcast, a digital marketing agency owner podcast for sharing the strategies and stories from real agency owners of what's working today in the agency world and how they got to where they are now and a whole bunch more. So Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I have to say the reason that my podcast even exists in large part is because you and I've been listening to you for years and you were one of the main driving forces that finally convinced me to launch this podcast. <laughs> That's and good. And that was about two years ago and I have no regrets. So thanks. Thanks for that. Awesome. I'm glad you took action with it. Yeah. Jason, there's, there's two parts to this discussion that I'd like to go into with you. You've built a successful agency and I think in 2011 you exited and then eventually then you, you developed this consulting business. I want to hear more about that. And then I'd like to get into some of the specific types of advice that you give to agencies and helping them improve. Sure. Can you walk us through from 2011, you had built quite an agency, you got it up to eight figures. How did you know at that point, or did you know that that was the right time to sell? Why, why was that the, the right time? You know, I was, we did it for 12 years and we grew it. I felt like any business owner, you're going to grow as much as you grow. So it's kind of like you draw the ceiling at your level. And I felt like at that time, I felt like that was as big as we could get. And I was a little frustrated with my business partner. Looking back, I should have just bought him out. And then I should have kept leveling up my stuff and kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, but you know, it was 12 years. I was young. You know, I started the agency when I was 22. Yeah. 22. And, um, and so I didn't know much 
much back then, right? And uh, I just felt like it was time. I didn't know what I was going to do next. I thought I would just do nothing. And uh, I quickly started going back into kind of like depression. And, um, you know, I didn't have that significance of working with the team. I didn't have that significance of working with some of the clients that we had, like from LegalZoom, Hitachi, Porsche. So we had some really amazing clients. You know, I, I remember I created an iPhone app. Uh, which took pictures of everything that you ate and gave you a visualization. And I closed that down because I hated it. Like I didn't want to take pictures of my photos. And so I closed that down. I, I did some consulting for different kinds of businesses from, you know, like a, a merchant service company to, you know, a recruiting company. And, and I just didn't like it. And uh, I was just lucky enough that I kind of had some old competitors in the agency world going, Hey, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And started helping them out. And that's kind of how this business started. Yeah. And from what I have understood, you, you've been podcasting now for almost as long as you had the agency. Is that right? Yeah. At the end of this year, it'll be 10 years. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so could you see a day where your podcasting career surpasses your agency career? Oh, yeah. Definitely. Ten tenure, let's say. Okay. Yeah. 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 That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. And the the podcast is is the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. And it looks like a vast empire underneath. And when I go to your website, I see a lot of things going on. So there's, there's the different mastery programs. There's agency mastery, I think, for the larger agencies. There's a peak performers program for the smaller guys. There's a digital agency experience live event. There's also a playbook that, that you sell as a separate standalone asset. Can you walk me through just generally how all that current business is structured and how you came up with these offerings? Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty easy and pretty basic. You know, our whole goal, our North Star is to create a resource I wish I had when I was running Solar Velocity, the first agency. And so I remember when I was doing solar, I remember joining certain organizations that will be nameless. And I kept giving, like I was always giving advice to everyone because people wanted marketing advice. Like you could kind of sense this, right? Like there was all different types of businesses. And then, you know, back then all of the agencies really wanted to kill each other. So we would always lie to each other going, yeah, we're doing fantastic. Yeah, this, and we'd never tell anybody what was working. And so, you know, after I sold, I was like, look, I want to create this kind of community where people can get together, that they're not competitive. They're not ego driven. They're not you know, wanting to kill each other, but to, to grow with each other. And I was like, how can I do that? And it took me a while to do this. Like I've gone through many rounds. Like the first thing that we started offering was the agency playbook. And it was a reoccurring model. It was kind of funny. I, it used to be 12 systems. And here's how I came up with the 12 systems. There's 12 months in the year. So I'm going to charge because I didn't really care about money. I was just like, I want people to be serious about this. So they have to give some money. And I thought, you know, I was like, well, I'll charge a hundred dollars a month and then I'll release one system at a time. But then I started asking the question to myself and that's the agency playbook. And then I started asking myself a question going, I go through things really quick. Why do I want to hold and make someone go through one system a month when they could actually go through it in a couple days or even quicker? So I quickly changed yeah, that. About, and then I said, Netflix here. Exactly. I, no. I release uh, episodes once a week when you can let pe people binge watch. Exactly. Right. Cause we all want it now and, and, and I want them to have fun at it. And then I also said, well, I have ADHD, you know, most agency owners have the same thing. You know, most creatives have it. So I was like, how can I take the 12 systems and really condense it down? And that's when I created it, eight systems. 
So that was really kind of the first thing that we did. And then there was a, a big outcry for a lot of people in that community going, hey, I want to get together on an ongoing basis to go through this kind of stuff. And then that kind of formed kind of this group coaching, which I no longer do anymore because I don't like group coaching. I don't like to stand up and say, here's the only way to do it. I like to have it where, you know, many people give their ideas and, and their suggestions. And that's when the Agency Mastery was born, uh, which is for agency owners over a million and under 20 million. But then I had an outcrying of people under the million mark that wanted to get to the million mark. So that's when we created Peak Performers. And so those are, that's really it. Like it's a pretty simple business um, that just solves, you know, a problem. And that problem was what was the resources I wanted when I created my agency? What were the challenges I had? I didn't have a niche. I didn't know how to position. I didn't have the right sales system. I didn't have a prospecting system. I didn't have a delivery system. I didn't know how to be profitable. I didn't know how to, what were the systems I needed in place in order to have the opportunity to sell? And so we just started putting all that together. And uh, it's been a lot more fun than when I was doing the agency, even though I loved the agency and I had to do that in order to get here. But that's what most people don't understand. They just go, oh, I like that. And I'll, I'll just create this. But you don't have all that, those 15 years building up, going through the pain, digging through the mud in the dirt, you know, to get to the you know, top. So Yeah. And from the people that you've been working with recently, or maybe a representative sample of those agency clients, when you when we think about exit strategy, I think about either an agency owner has aspirations to build up something that, that they can sell for value and then move on to something else or whatever, but there's an aspiration to sell. There's another agency owner who wants a lifestyle and who wants to be able to design a certain lifestyle and have the agency. I was thinking if there was a third, I can't really think of a third, but there is. If, if you can think of a third, I'd love to hear it. But my question is, how many of your clients are focused on an exit strategy to sell versus to build the, the perfect agency to suit their, their lifestyle? Well, the, I'll cover the third really quick. It's an incubator agency, right? So okay. it's an agency that they, because they realize that agency owners love to create and some people love to create and then hand stuff off. But if they can create their agency where they're really good at creating leads. They're really good at marketing. They're really good at building the creative and the technology and all that kind of stuff. Well, why wouldn't they build other companies? Like Gary Vaynerchuk's a great example. A lot of our mastermind members are great examples where they've built other products from their agency. And those products and those companies have become bigger where they can actually sell and get way bigger multiple. So that that's the third option. But it is a great question of kind of going, well, how many... And I think people are, they constantly change their minds. They go back and forth. When they start their company, they're really kind of starting a, a job for themselves. And then they're like, if they create a lifestyle business, that means the whole business is dependent on them. And so they've created this prison around them that if they can never leave, or if they do, the business goes way down, or if they do try to sell, it's really devalued. Like you're dividing you know, big time on, on what you're worth. And they're not really building an asset. They're just, they created a cool job for themselves and there's nothing wrong with that. You can do that. But what I see in a lot of the lifestyle businesses is this, they're putting all their time and their investment into this lifestyle business, but then they're taking all that stuff out rather than really kind of building something bigger later on. And so what I've been showing a lot of people is 
how can you kind of switch that? And how do you build an asset that, you know, is bigger than yourself? And there's really kind of like nine things that you need to do in order to do that. And then they have the option to sell. Like when, when we come in and the other agency, we, we've bought 10 agencies in the past two years, a lot of my partners get mad at me because I've talked people out of selling. I'm like, dude, man, like you're getting over a million dollars a year. You have a team doing everything. You don't really have to do much other than the direction. Why the hell do you want to sell? Like, what am I missing? Because people want to sell when there's some pain there. I told you when I sold, the pain was I didn't figure out a, um, a solution to overcome my uh, business partner challenge. That's why I sold. But if you could have come to me with this magic pill that you see in all these Facebook ads, right? <laughs> I will solve all your problems. Then I probably, I might still have that agency still. You never know. Yeah. Well, that, that's a really interesting third, third goal with the incubator. Cause I have seen some other agencies that they, they build an agency to really get good at marketing. And then they leverage that to lots of other companies. But I also agree with you on the lifestyle because it can create the illusion of freedom that I, I have this business that can, that can generate a nice income for myself. It allows me to do these things. And, but then you can't really switch. You are kind of trapped, you know, and as opposed to having an asset, which can still afford you a, a really nice lifestyle, but then you have the option. You don't have to sell or there's no definitive timeline for selling, but actually freedom comes with having the option not necessarily with, with just with the lifestyle. And we've been through some ups and downs, but how do you find the environment right now? Because I can tell you from my experience, honestly, and you said that you created this community also for people to, like me to be a little more honest and not, not always being guarded and, and inflating their numbers. But I got to say that this has been a tough year for our agency. And I feel like a year ago or maybe a year and a half ago, I felt like we were worth a lot more than we are today. But what are you seeing across all of, your, your community, are a lot of agencies having a tough year? And, and if so, do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Think of growing a business or scaling an agency as climbing a mountain. There's no direct path. Like there, it's not a straight line. You know, like when, when I'm out in Colorado and we're climbing a mountain or like it's constantly ups and downs. And sometimes we'll go to like, we'll think this is the fastest way to the summit. And then we'll cliff ourselves out where we're like, we're, we're looking down and we're like, well, I'm not going over that. Like, and I go to my buddy, Greg, that I always do Epic Fridays with. I'm like, I'm not letting you go over that. Like, we don't have any ropes. Like the consequences of trying to make that, you know, kind of like watching that movie, uh, Free Solo and the guy like kind of jumps and he tries to grab it. Like it's such huge risk. You could make it, but why do you want to take that risk versus like, just climb back down for an hour and go. So the answer to your question is in the short term, sure. Some people have gone down a little bit, but it's because you're looking at it in such a minuscule moment of time. Like if you started stretching it out, you'll be like, holy cow, like I'm way up. And like, if you start stretching out even further of like where you want to go, you'd be like, okay, like I'm investing in myself, which is the best investment. I'm investing in my company that I control as more than any other stocks or anything else out there. So. I think people that have you going like, I feel like I need to be worth more, stretch it out a little bit and then think about well, how much have I learned this year of what not to do? Like mistakes yeah. come because you're trying. If you don't make mistakes, it means you're not trying hard enough and you can't break the other ceiling. And then the other part that I think people need to think about in this situation is thinking about who, who do I need to bring in to help? Who do I need to become? Remember going back, 
so I can keep leveling up. Because once you keep moving up, you know, the level, you never go back down. I mean, in the short term, sure, but not your capacity. And you can keep growing bigger and bigger. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. And Jason, you mentioned that you have invested personally in 10 agencies in the last two years. Is that correct? Yeah. So what, what are some of the criteria that you look for when you make that go, no go decision? I mean, what, what are some of the factors that make an, an agency interesting to you for investment? Yeah. So when, when we, well, the first thing is really around, are they scalable? Right. So, you know, we'll look at it as, and look at, if you look at kind of the agency enterprise value, which is this, how can we get, you know, how many clients do they have? You know, how, how do we get more clients? How do we make those clients worth more? And then how can we lower the risk of them losing those clients or decreasing, you know, the amount that they're doing? So we'll look at what is their EBITDA, which is their net profit after, you know, they're paid minus distributions and taxes and, you know, all that kind of good stuff. But we're also looking at kind of nine different things. We're looking, do they have multiple and reliable channels for getting business? Do they have a diverse client base? Do they have reoccurring, reliable, you know, reoccurring revenue, right? So that's kind of the predictability part. And then we're looking at, you know, do they have metrics and KPIs that they're tracking? Are they high cash? Are they high, highly profitable? And are they growing? Like, and have they been growing over the past couple of years? Uh, a small part on this, and this is very small, is like really good financials. So we can kind of break down everything and make sure that the story that they're telling us is correct. And then the big part on, on scaling, the, there's three parts on scaling is, is the owner involved in the delivery? Is the owner involved in sales and marketing? Do they have a leadership team doing the day-to-day -day operations? And so when you look at all of that, then that would tell me, and on top of that, you have to even add in kind of a culture fit. Like, can we put these agencies together so they can actually work in harmony rather than try to kill each other? Well, that's an important distinction. So these agencies are getting merged under a single umbrella? Yes. Under, okay, with like a common back office. Do they still retain their, their brands? Yep. They still retain their brands. We want the owners to actually stay in place. We're just adding more resources. So we would come in and we'll say, all right. And the other re requirement is they have to be over a million in EBITDA. So we would say, all right, you're worth, we'll give you two and a half million cash. The other two and a half million is in stock into the parent company. And then let's, mm -hmm. let's go. It's a different way of doing it rather than people doing the bullshit roll up things like, oh, you just join this bigger company and you have a bigger exit. Like we want them to still have skin in the game, but we also want them to take some chips off the table. Yeah. I think, th I think that 50, 50 split seems really fair. Cause I mean, the people selling, they want to get a, a bit of cash, but you've got to keep them in, in it at least for like an earnout period of, I don't know, do you, do you specify like three, four years or uh no journey? No, but there, there is the downsides. So let me not just paint the good pictures, right? I always tell people when you sell, be happy with the cash you get because it could all go to shit later on. And you could hate working for someone like, you know, I built my agency up for 12 years. I thought I would like working for someone. I thought I wouldn't want to have to make decisions, you know, making no decisions would be great. But then I was like, this sucks. Like, I want to make the decisions. You're an idiot. 
you're making the wrong decision. Like that's how I felt. And so you have to be happy with the cash you get because person buying you, they have the control now. They can blow your earnout up. Like I lost millions of dollars. I did really well, but I lost millions of dollars when I sold because my earnout, which I my broker was a horrible person, didn't kind of let me know that they could design it to make me fail. Well, yeah. If, and, if you don't if you don't have control anymore over the key decisions, then how could you how could you commit to a future EBITDA? Basically, and that, that's what the earnout's all about. You need exactly. to hit certain targets. Oh, that's that's tough. Um, I was listening to one of your podcast, recent podcast episodes. I, I forget the guest's name, but you'll probably remember. But he. He's been buying agencies on uh, using debt instead of equity, um, primarily with uh, with low interest SBA or bank loans to finance a large chunk of the deal with just a minimum amount of cash. I don't know if he if he mixed in any equity, but I, I that's something that I never considered really because I have looked at myself at buying some smaller agencies in in the region over the past few years or merging, but I never considered the the debt part. I always just thought, all right, I've got to come up with a, a formula which is a some cash and then some equity and what's that going to look like? And I need to know that I'm still going to be in control with the majority, uh, with, the, with the majority of, of decision-making powers at the end of this with the merged entity. And I always struggled with that and I never actually did one single deal. Um, but is that, is that a viable option too, to look at mixing a, a debt and equity? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you could do owner's financing too, where you're paying the owner. I mean, that's a lot of times what an earnout is, is like you're, you're paying the owner with the profits from the agency that you bought and you give them, you know, cash. So you know, there's, there's a thousand ways of doing it. I, I was like you, when I had the fir- first agency for many, many years, I thought if I wanted to buy a million dollar agency, I had to have like $5 million to buy them. I didn't realize that, man, I could give them 200,000 in cash. And a lot of them would say yes. And that's it. Like literally like, you're like, what, really? Like what else? And then and especially if you have a lot of the systems to fix them, you know, like one of the things that, you know, we're, we're thinking of doing is like going in to an agency that's, let's say 500,000 in EBITDA. And usually with those companies, those are pretty easy to turn around, right? They're, they're not starting out, they're already profitable, um, but there's a couple of little things that we can do and say, pay us a small, small retainer just to make sure you're serious. And then we'll come into the business and in the next year, we'll double your EBITDA. So we took your valuation from, you know, maybe 500,000 or a million and now it's five or six. And then we get paid a success fee on the increased valuation. So like there's, or like we could even say, and then we get some ownership or whatever it is. Like, like we're still coming up with ideas on this, but like there's, there's multiple ways in order to buy agencies. You just got to get creative. It's not all just about cash. Yeah. Now, a quick word from our sponsor. The Paris Talks Marketing Show is affiliated with Hop Online, a performance marketing agency focused on high growth SaaS and other recurring revenue-based companies. If you like the flow of this conversation, you may want to consider jumping on a discovery call with someone at Hop Online. A discovery call is similar to my podcast interviews in a lot of ways. We'll get to know your business goals, competitive landscape, and marketing needs. And you'll almost certainly come away with some new ideas for how to accelerate your customer and revenue growth. If you're interested, go to hop.online, that's hop, H-O-P dot online, and book a discovery call with one of our strategists today. Now, back to the episode. Let's pivot over to back to the marketing side of things. And 
Let's talk about how you're marketing your business. And there, clearly the podcast is the one-to-many vehicle. That's a big part of it. But what, what else? Can you walk us through the, the broader marketing strategy for your business? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're not the best at it, honestly. There's lots of really weak areas. We just literally hired a CMO and we just hired a marketing manager. Before then, it was moi. Uh, you know, like, and it's kind of funny. Like I always joke with people when I come on people's shows or they chat with me, I'm like, for many years, I'm a hypocrite. Like I give advice that I don't even follow anymore, but I used to do it at the agency. Right. So I'll be like, Hey, you should have someone doing, you know, like you shouldn't be doing marketing. You shouldn't be doing sales. And then when I realized when I was doing a lot of the sales, like three years ago, I was like, Oh, I need to have someone in charge of that. And that's amazing how much time it freed me up to do other things. And then I was like, I was doing all the marketing. I was like, damn it, I need to get out of the marketing. Like I'm out of the delivery. And I was like, what are the only things I need to do? And the podcast, like you said, is the number one, right? Like that by far better than anything, even more far reaching than YouTube, which is the second part, right? Of like, how do I create, you know, content to help people? Social media, we've always been the weakest. And that's really where I've hired people to, you know, take over that now. So hopefully in the next couple of months, you'll start seeing that stuff being elevated because I've always treated um, social media as that girl that kept turning me down. And then, you know what you say about the girl that keeps turning you down. You're like, oh, she sucks. What is she? Yeah, she doesn't know. Like, that's how I've always been about social media because I've never really understood it. I've never really got it. And so I'm like, social media is stupid. It's crap. But that's just me going with my insecurities of going like, I just haven't figured it out. If I figured it out, I'd be like, this is fucking awesome. Like, I love social media, right? Like, so, um, you know, but our marketing is all designed around helping agencies and making them the main focal point, not making me the main focal point. You know, I always hate when I go to someone's uh, site, like if you go to the jasonswank.com slash about, you won't see anything about me and my story until the very bottom. Like, because no one cares about, like, if I come up to you at a conference and I'm like, dude, Paris, do you know who I am? Like, I'm kind of a big deal. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm blah, 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 right? Like, you'd be like, you're an asshole. Like, go, get away from me. But if I come up to you like, hey, Paris, why'd you come to the conference? You know, hey, tell me about your agency. Cool. Is there, you know, who do you want to meet? You know, where, where's your agency trying to go? Like, I'm asking questions. That's what I feel marketing should do rather than shout out at people going, look at me, look how cool I am. Yeah, right. absolutely. And that's one of the things too, I, with the new marketing team that we brought on, I went to them, I said, look, we cannot be kind of that douchey people going, look at me, look at me in a plane, look at me in a car. Like, like if we do that, I said, put me in like the most piece of crap car as a joke, or put me in like this cardboard plane as a joke or whatever it is, right? Like as like a parody of it. I was like, that's the only way we're going to do this. Yeah. And do, do you have any kind of structured funnel where you can move people through mm -hmm. like maybe awareness through the podcast and then they get into like a foot in the door offer, which is something that you talk about a lot yep. in your podcast. Yeah. Is we, there a way we, for them to get started easily once they've got awareness? We do really good at creating lead magnets in our email marketing and marketing automation. So uh, we've always been good at that. And I owe that to, he's actually a buddy of mine now. He lives in Durango with me, Jeff Walker. So after I sold my agency, I was kind of, like, I was telling you, I was depressed. I went to a Tony Robbins event and it was one of the events where you walk on fire. I left after the day because I, I don't like high-fiving people and hugging people, all that kind of stuff. But 
it was cool walking on fire and, and they actually, and that event, that actually helped me because they sent out DVDs at back then. It was called like money makers. And one of the ones that they had Tony interviewed was Jeff Walker, which was like kind of the sideways launch. Like, and I never knew in my agency about direct response marketing. I was always more creative and development. Right. And so I started looking at this. I was like, man, I was like, if I put what I know over here and what Jeff knows, and then uh, Frank Kern was on there, a couple other people I don't remember. And it's kind of cool. Both of them have become friends now. And so I started applying that. So when I, when I kind of fell into this business by accident, when my old competitors started reaching out, I was like, hmm, let me create these lead magnets. Let me create these things that people want. Like, I think the first one I created was, and it solved the problem around, think about agencies or any business or service-based business. When they come to you, what the first thing you should be asking is, what do you want? The second thing should be, what's your budget for this? So people tend to not ask the budget, or if they do ask the budget, that prospects like, I don't know, you tell me. And then, you know, it's like, you start really low. Yeah, I've been through that. So mine, my first one was what I called the budget buster, how to get the prospects budget 99% of the time, all the time. It's kind of like the, the sex Panther thing on, on uh, Anchorman, like it works 60% all the time. And so I would get someone to opt in and then I would give them that piece of information. But then what I wanted to do is make sure that they digest that information. So I'm constantly going, Hey, you haven't watched that video yet, Paris. You still, you still like, did you figure out how to get the budget? And then the, like the third time is like, dude, man, you know, like, and then I would tell like a story. And then after they watched that, then I would say, well, cool. What's the next thing I can help them with? You're like, oh, how can I help speed up the proposal process? How can I make them win more deals and create a proposal? So then I would send them another video and another emails of get them to watch that. Right. And then I would just keep doing that. And, and I would bolt all my campaigns together. So then I'm constantly giving them good information. And then once they go through all the campaigns, I feel that they need based on how they interacted, then I would put them on my weekly newsletter where I would say, Hey, here's, here's my thoughts for the week. Here's the podcast interview and here's some wins and some things like that. So there's a weekly newsletter that you don't send it out immediately after you get the email, but you wait no. until they've engaged with some premium content. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I'm sure it's tempting to, to, to blast your whole list regardless of where they are in, in the funnel. Yeah. Well, That's you don't really want to overwhelm people, right? Like you yeah. want to kind of segment it and going, Hey, this person's going through these different like this campaign, let them go through it, let them digest it. Cause all of our campaigns are designed to help. So then there's no selling. Like we never have to sell when we jump on a call, you know, with someone we're like, all right, where are you at? Where are you wanting to go? What's the big challenge? And we try to help them with it, but they're never asking, tell us more about your background. Like haven't checked out all this stuff or, or my favorite question that I, I would always kind of throw back in, in someone's face is like, Hey, can you send me some references? No, I'm not going to do the work for you. If you expect me to do the work for you, like we have hundreds of yeah. case stories yeah. out yeah. here. You can go check that out. Like that's just a kind of a put off a lot of times. So yeah, I agree. You know, it's like, I tell agencies like do that kind of stuff, like put out so much content that you're helping them. Gary Vanderchuk's a great example. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And, and, you know, I think where people lose, and I see this when people start a podcast or start marketing, they lose their consistency because they haven't seen any return yet. But I'm like, really? Like you expect a return right away? I was like, I guess that's the culture we live in right now. Like I put out a video, we should have a, 
millions of views, but you haven't put in the time for it. Like it takes time. Like for the first year or two years, I don't think I had many people listening to the podcast and then just kept getting momentum and momentum, you know, because I was consistent. And then people related to that. There's some people that hate the podcast. Perfect. I don't care. Like, I, I don't want to work with them. Like, like I'm who I am. And that's those types of people I want to attract. So like people stop because they're like, oh, I don't want someone to unsubscribe. Really? Did you just say that to me? Like, no, nah, I love uh, them self-select out. Yeah. Like, like, well, then they're not getting anything from you anyway. So might as well try. <laughs> yeah. And are you able to, are you able to repurpose the stuff from the podcast? Like, um. One of the things we do is just take these short clips and put them on social media. Are there other creative ways that you're taking that that big, uh, like a half an hour, 45 minute recording and chopping it up into a lot of other assets that can be? Yeah, used? these are always been our, our weakest areas, but, you know, and that's why I brought in the marketing team. But, you know, some of the things is like you can do a, a quarterly route or, you know, summary of the most important ones, or you can do the yearly ones, you know, creating micro content from it. I think everyone should do it. We've done it. We've done, we've just done it bad because we haven't figured out social media yet, but that's the cool part about business. It's a game. Like all of this is a game. That's how I treat it is like, all right, let me, let me buy this hotel over here on my monopoly board. And if no one's yeah. landing on it, all right, I'll mortgage that. And then I'll put it like my, my strategy on monopoly is always buy the cheapest properties. Um, cause <laughs> then I can get all the hotels and then I can yeah, work. Yeah. The just be the deal. slumlord. Yeah. yeah. I do think that, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I am a slumlord on that point. I think having that mindset in business in general is a healthy way to go about it, which is that you treat it like a game. If if this was a game, I'm playing a game, what's the right decision to make based on the situation? What's the risk? And if it fails, well, what the hell? It's just a game and, and uh, my life's not going to be over. And then you avoid taking yourself too seriously and putting too much pressure on yourself and weight about about these decisions because no matter what i mean we're all going to be fine and even the failures are learning experiences and the key is to have fun along the way and if you're playing a game and winning or losing you should be having fun you should be surrounded by people that you like and that you want to be with and that's that's really the rewarding part of it and and i think when you bring a, a little bit of lightness to it like hey this this is a game and let's uh let's do this let's let's buy that property whatever you know it's it, it lightens everything up really and i think that actually leads to better decision making because you can remove your emotions more from it exactly yeah and that's the thing is you can't make decisions when you have emotions so a lot of times when right. agencies ask me a certain question like what do i need to do i'm like if it was reverse what would you tell me and then they can kind of take the emotions out and then because everyone knows the right decision in the most case to make it's just, you got to surround yourself with the right people in order to help you figure out that decision. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that very act of kind of flipping it and saying, well, what would you, how would you describe this to a friend? If, if, I, if your friend was coming to you with the same, with the same problem, what advice would you give him? And, and then I think you kind of, you bring some empathy into it and you realize that this is the right decision. This is what I would genuinely say to a friend who's in this situation or the questions I would ask. Yeah, for, for many years, I always followed this framework, even at the agency. And this would, this helps the, you know, you as a leader, other leaders, and it's a one, three, one, you know, when someone comes to you with a problem, which that's their problem, right? That's the one, what are three possible things that they're thinking of? And then what's the thing that they need to go execute on after that? So like, if you came to me with the challenge, I'd be like, all right, cool. What's your one, three, one. 
and then they'll go over it. And then what it does is it trains your team. You're like, well, Jason, they really help me out here. Like he's going to just ask me, what are the three things? And then he'll be like, well, what do you think? And then you'll say, I'll say this. And, and then so there's like, so it starts taking out you and you're like, yeah, just freeing up your time. Well, I, I guess you, you probably have people that come to you and they think that you're just going to give them the answer and they, they'll say, Jason, you, you've been through this and you've talked to so many agencies. So just tell me what's the answer. It's, it's unique for everybody. I mean, this journey, it's, uh, it's unique. I, I haven't met any two agency stories that are exactly the same. And so it's, it's really kind of a self-exploration. I, I used to joke with everybody. It was like, I've heard every story ever. And then one person was like, oh, well, my business partner's leaving to join a cult. So then that was the one story that I haven't gone through. And I was telling someone this and then they go, oh, that happened to me too. I'm like, really? Like two people? I was like, so I thought it was like, did that guy have a twin brother? That's, that's wacky. Well, Jason, I know that you've, you've got to wrap it up soon and, and this has been fantastic. Is there anything else that, that I didn't ask you that you wish I would have asked you that you think could benefit our audience? Well, I love that question because I always ask that on mine. And then what I always uh, drives me crazy is when I ask that question, my guest goes, no, uh, no, you've asked me all everything. And then they go into something. Um, but no, I think you did a great job. I, um, no, I think you asked everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to, you know, check out the podcast, you know, you just go to Jason Swank with an E like on my hat, uh, dot com and you can you know, check that out or go to swank.it and, uh, and jump on the newsletter and see how we market. That's great. Well, Jason, thanks for being with me. This has been a real pleasure and, and such a joy to finally be able to interview someone who I've, I've listened to uh, for literally hundreds of your episodes and learned so much. So thank you very much for spending the time with me. Oh, thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Another great episode in the books. Hope you enjoyed it. If you want to get notified when future episodes drop, be sure to subscribe to Paris Talks Marketing on your favorite podcast player. And to learn more about our growth marketing agency, visit hop.online. That's hop, H-O-P dot online. Have a great day.